Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about both The Bling Ring and Marie Antoinette, and I am happy to be joined by my friend Kayla Stetzel to talk about Sofia Coppola. Kayla, are you ready to rob? I mean, I don't know if I'm ready to rock, <laughs> but I'm always ready to rock. So I'm here and I'm happy to talk about Sofia Coppola, criminally underrated director. Uh, very true, and I thought it'd be cool to revisit her because as we have the theaters still closed and we're revisiting old movies, one of the things I've been doing over the last five months is talking about directors who have another movie coming out and thinking, oh, you know, maybe we can go revisit a couple of their movies in advance of their upcoming movie. And Sofia Coppola's newest movie, On the Rocks, is coming out at some point in the next few months, I believe. They dropped the trailer in the last couple of days, actually, featuring Bill Murray and Rashida Jones. So figured why not go and revisit someone whose movies I never really talked about on a podcast before, because uh, when I was doing my old podcast, I didn't end up recording on The Beguiled. And that was the only Sofia Coppola movie that's come out since I've been doing the movie podcasting thing. So I saw Kayla tweet about The Bling Ring a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, oh, that would be a fun one to talk about. I've never talked about The Bling Ring with anyone. And we figured we'd talk so uh, Marie Antoinette, too, because that's obviously one of her more celebrated films that I have complicated feelings about. But we're going to start with The Bling Ring. It's a 2013 movie written and directed by Sofia Coppola. It is based on the Vanity Fair article, The Suspects Wore Louboutins by Nancy Jo Sales. It follows the real-life fame-obsessed gang of teenagers who robbed a bunch of houses of celebrities in the fall of 2008 and spring of 2009. And those celebrities included Paris Hilton, Audrina Partridge, Megan Fox and Brian Austin Green, Miranda Kerr and Orlando Bloom, Rachel Bilson, and of course, Lindsay Lohan. And it made a lot of news, even though these people were really only a gang that was doing things for just a matter of months, but it made news and turned into this article and it turned into this movie. And it tells the story of these kids and how they came together and how they actually went about robbing all these houses, which you think would be hard to do, but Actually, not so much. So, uh, Kayla, I guess what we'll start is I want to ask you more generally about just this moment in time that this movie takes place in, because I think it's really interesting. And 2008, 2009, it's funny. I think the first robbery actually took place in, what was it, October? Yeah, it started in October 2008, which is the month that I got Facebook. I I know when my Facebook account started. And this is pre-Instagram, though, but like, you know, they still had social media and that ends up playing a big part in this movie. And obviously this really this celebrity culture that was just kind of blowing up at the time amongst all these celebrities I was just mentioning before. So I want to ask you, uh, what does this era mean to you when you think about it? And you, all those names I just rattled off who people are, are, I wouldn't even necessarily call A-list celebrities, but they were just such a huge deal at that time. Oh, I would definitely call them A-list celebrities. At least well, most well I guess when I think A-list, I think like they put out A-list content, you know? And I guess A-list is very, or I, I guess that's, sub, that's a very subjective term. But Yeah, for I me, mean, it's, are they globally known and a household name. Yes. And uh, even my mom knows who Orlando Bloom is. 
So a list for that, me. That was a, that, that was an unfair shot. You're good. Thank you for calling me out on that. They're 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 a list in their own ways, and all these people were, I guess, super famous. But uh, what what did that moment in time mean to you? Because I'll say it as someone that you know, I didn't even watch the OC until I was like the summer before I the summer after I graduated law school. So like Rachel Bilson didn't mean anything to me. I yes. I guess I watched. Uh, I, I guess I kind of knew who Paris Hilton was because, like you said, you couldn't help but know who these people were. So even you, if you, you didn't watch The Simple Life. That was not no, a reality but, show but, that but, piqued your interest. No, but I guess this makes your point even more because I knew exactly what it was, but I can't, I can tell you mm-hmm. I never watched a single second of it, you know? Okay. Interesting. Well, I think like, it's interesting because I did the same thing in my head because I feel like right now you're kind of conflating the early 2000s. So like I would say 2000 to 2006, 2005 with like the mid 2000s, which is like when this took place, 2009, 2010-ish, which I know that doesn't sound like a much big of a difference, but you go from having like not that prominent of internet usage to like MySpace has already kind of gone by the wayside. Facebook's kind of taking over, you know, by like 2011, I think we have like Instagram use is becoming more popular for me. Um, love 2009, Love the, the mid-2000s. I often say I peaked in high school, and it was, like, right during this chunk of time. <laughs> um, I had a MySpace, like, well before – I think at, like, what, 2007 through 2009, maybe? Like, grossly late. Um, Facebook around the same time. Um, so I was already heavily online. I knew these people were – I followed loosely, like, the gossip columns because it seemed like it was just everywhere. This was right when, like – Lindsay started to kind of like really while out and get arrested a lot. Um, so yeah, I guess that's what I was getting at. Cause I did not follow the gossip, you know, I think I, I was oblivious. I'm this. not, like, I was never like a, a reader of people magazine or any of the stuff, mm-hmm. but it was just kind of always around. And I just feel like people talked about it, especially, you know, I was also in like a high school, like a young high school girl. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was just part of like more of like the, the like female culture at the time, or it was targeted at us primarily. Um, but yeah, I almost learned all of it against my will, but it was kind of just loosely fascinating to me. Did you know people that actually more earnestly idolized these people? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. And I think that's kind of like, it really threw me back to when I watched this movie because you see them take selfies with like digital cameras, which is something I've not done since about that time. And I don't uh, think I even heard, I don't even think I knew the word selfie then, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't even know if that was a term, selfie, but I was taking them yeah. like those <laughs> classic mirror pics with the flash and like the side swept bangs. Mm-hmm. That was my life, you know, in high school and a little bit prior, like late middle school, embarrassingly enough, but that kind of just was the norm, I think for kids my age at the time. So that kind of seeing that like threw me back to like a pre Twitter, pre Instagram stories reality. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I will say, like, I am deeply kind of nostalgic for the early internet. I think that's kind of when the internet culture was its pu- was its purest in a weird way. Um, I'll get more into that later because I have some stuff to say about TikTok culture yeah, and well, consumerism. Yeah, but- no, I want to talk about that and the parallels to this point in time and these type of people – because I honestly, I think the characters in this movie, it, I feel almost, I don't feel, I want to say I feel bad for them, but like, it's, it's kind of unfortunate for them that they were just ahead of their time. You know, I think a yeah. lot of these girls and based on the circles that I understood they run in, because I didn't realize that 
until I, even even after I was texting you about this the other day when I kind of learned a little bit more about who Alexis Nears was and just that like she actually had a little bit of a profile after this I didn't realize mm-hmm. that she was actually like I, I found out she was on a reality show and then I was looking at stuff right before I got on here and I thought oh wow like she was like filming this reality show like as these robbings were going on these robberies were going on like she already was close to fame anyway but like i feel like just by being in the circles that they ran in if in 2020 they would just be instagram influencers and they would already like have a lot of access to a lot of these things you know yeah precisely um and i will say just to flag this for you and to any of your listeners Mm -hmm. go watch the alexis nares phone call uh with nancy drew it is so funny to me um, cause she's just hysterical yelling at Nancy Drew because Nancy Drew or not Nancy Drew. Nancy Gra- I was going to say, you mean Nancy Grace? Yes. Yes. Sorry. Hey. I don't know what I was doing. Like children's mystery books. Hey. I don't know where my mind I, Hey, I, I read them back in the day. Yeah. I don't know. Just clearly I'm thinking about my childhood a little bit too, too much, but yeah, she was just going off on Nancy, uh, uh, Grace and it's the most hilarious phone call and you see it like come up as a meme from time to time. And that's how I learned who Alexis Nares was. Like, I never even knew her by name. I knew the bling ring happened, and I followed that news on TV at the time. Um, but I, I learned her name through that phone call. And you mentioned... Uh, through the reality TV show, which I don't know if I actually saw. Yeah, I, I was pretty ignorant of all that. But I know, And I will say, I mean, I guess I was somewhat online at this point, too. I... I didn't have. Tw- I got Twitter in the spring of 2019 and Facebook in the fall of 2008 or 2000. I got Twitter in the spring of 2009 and Facebook in the fall of 2008. But what struck me more on this viewing of the movie, and we'll get to talking about these characters and the actual goings on of the movie. But I think my big takeaway from this viewing, even more so than the last time I watched it, because I, I, I liked it even more on this viewing, because I went back and I looked on Letterbox. I'd only given it like a three or three and a half stars, and I don't really know why. And maybe I'm just a little more of a sophisticated media consumer and thinker these days, but it struck me as first and foremost, like a movie about the media in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. Cause you think about like it, in theory, it would be easier. You would think it would be easier to like rob a bunch of houses when technology was not as impressive, you know, and the security apparatuses would not be as complex and difficult to break through. Like why couldn't this happen in the early nineties instead of the, instead of the late aughts? And I mean, the reason is really because of the media and how insane it was. I just forgot that like they found their houses by literally just like Googling these people and just finding out where they were and saying, okay, we can just go to their house. I mean, it's its own kind of ridiculous that like Paris Hilton kept the key under the mat or whatever. And I'm guessing that's pretty accurate because she was, I didn't know till this viewing that like she actually let them use her house, which is actually pretty cool when you think about it. Mm-hmm. But the fact is like, this wouldn't have been possible in the early nineties because you didn't, be, you couldn't go online and just find out what event someone was going to, unless like you would know if someone was at the Oscars or something like that, but you wouldn't just know that they were just going to random event X like they find in this movie. And that just the, the media, the, the culture of, in the media that surrounded these people and how breathlessly they were covered. That was what even made it possible for them to identify where to rob. And that was kind of like, wow, like that, and that itself is, I mean, it's pretty subtle. I don't want to say it's subtle, but all it is is going on Google. So it's like without like, which is a very routine task. So just by something mm-hmm. that routine, the movie's able to kind of be a, a movie about the media in that time without really having to explicitly say it, which is one thing that really struck me. Yeah. Um, upon second viewing, I mean, the first time I saw it, um, I watched it like right after it came out. I did not catch it in theaters. Mm-hmm. I had the same kind of reaction to it. I didn't enjoy it that much. Um, but I think the reason why, upon second viewing, is actually 
when I first saw it, um, basically we watched this gang of teenagers who are very, very self-absorbed and vapid, rob kind of for attention and glamour and fame and kind of follow them along this media circus. And throughout the whole time, the film doesn't really take a stance on these characters. I didn't see at the time, nor on second viewing, any sort of moral judgment. It's just kind of out there and kind of just the film itself doesn't draw any conclusions and it's kind of void and vague in a way. Well, that's, um, that's also kind of what's great about Sofia Coppola. Yes. Because she makes movies about privileged people and without like, exactly. without judging them too harshly, but, but without, say, without putting them on a pedestal. I found it was really interesting because there is kind of a void and vapid feeling you have upon leaving the film, which I actually think was very much intentional. Mm for Coppola to do. Um, so the taste in your mouth it leaves you with is kind of empty. Like, what was the point of this? <laughs> but like in a really cool and interesting way, but it's like, they didn't make any conclusions. It's because really, I don't think any of the characters learned anything, which that was kind of the point that she was making. So like, perhaps I was seeking some sort of arc or some sort of lesson or like, but you never really got that. And I think that was kind of the point that she was making with this film is we're watching vapid people be vapid. And despite all of this, nothing really happens. You know, she goes and she makes her little website and it becomes, oh, this media circus is just going to get me more attention, which is exactly what happened um, in real life. So I don't know if I had like a more meta viewing of it as an adult, but that was kind of my takeaway and how I changed my perspective on it. And I'm going to bring this up later. I just want to hear your thoughts on this, Mm -hmm. but it did strike me deeply watching this in the age of TikTok, And just, I think consumerism is even more strong and celebrity worship is even more powerful than it was in the late aughts. Um, that this kind of, I feel like in viewing this, it's like, Oh, I'm seeing the birth of this consumer culture where it's becoming the snake eating itself or just consuming for the sake of consumption. So, I think watching it in this background now where things have even gotten more out of hand, not that people are robbing each other, but I think the celebrity worship and the selfie taking and the, you know, image machine is kind of really taking off. Well, I think that's probably why it feels a little empty at the end. Like you said, it's just like, yeah, you, you, exactly. you not only have the characters not learned anything, but as someone that can watch it in with the benefit of hindsight, you know, like, Oh, maybe uh, our society is not going to really learn a whole lot because they haven't. And I, I, I feel like it's a pretty, like, it's, it's definitely a pretty astute observation. I think it is noteworthy. I mean, it, it is pretty clear. Like you said, the characters haven't learned very much at the end. They don't mm-hmm. really seem to really feel all that bad about it. I, again, I'm still kind of like, I didn't even really take the time to research a lot of these folks and what they might be up to today besides Alexis Nears. And I, I just happened to watch like one interview with her where she actually like went on a show where she talks about race. And was actually pretty insightful. So it's clear she's learned something in the last 10 years, but I don't really know if she learned something then. And she probably didn't really learn anything from getting caught when she did. It seems like more of it came from like having to go to rehab because she had a drug addiction. And yeah. that that actually more drove her to self-improvement, not the actual embarrassment. And having to go through what I love the phrase I love a learning lesson because what other kind of lesson is there yeah. <laughs> but uh it, it, it is very clear that the way she is handling the arrest it is something that she is not really taking with the level of seriousness that one should and I think the, that's probably when the when the movie's even at its funniest but I I mean I laugh more on this viewing than I did 
the first one, definitely. I just feel like I picked up on a lot more stuff for sure. Yeah, and you get like uh, lovely little hits of like that false sense of mindfulness. Like I think she references the secret. Um, That's what she's teaching awareness. That's the curriculum that Leslie Mann is teaching Emma Emma Watson and Tessa Farmiga. Yeah. So like there's like little weird nods of like almost like one would reference like, oh, I saw that on a Goop podcast or I read that on a, you know, I saw a tweet about the New Yorker. Like there's some sort of like that vapid, like I'm going to be mindful and new agey because it'll make me look marketable and cool. And that's the new thing. So there was like a little taste of that in there and that made me smirk. Um, and I think, yeah, with hindsight, I'm seeing the seed of what's happening now. Right. And I feel initially when I talked about this podcast with you and I was tweeting about the bling ring, my thought was like, would they be received? Like, would they be received by the public or by like tweet deckers, heavily online tweeters as like wealth distribution? Would that come into play? Would they be seen as like, I don't know, vaguely, I don't know, um, political somehow. But then I thought about it a little bit harder Mm -hmm. and uh, it becomes very clear. It would have just become like a cool, fancy, risky, dumb TikTok challenge or something because it still is just mostly about image and vapid stuff and, you know, consumerism for the sake of itself. Um, So I feel like, well, they might have rebranded in hindsight to be some sort of like... (laughs) woke wealth distribution BS, I think it probably would have just, you know, gone on to be some sort of circus had this happened today. There's definitely a certain segment of eat the rich Twitter, which I am, which I, which I'm not unsupportive of, but I think they certainly (laughs) would have celebrated them, whether with some level of detachment or irony or not. Like, I think there definitely would have been some people doing that, but I'd say you'd be uh, giving them a little too much credit at the same time. Yeah, to be fair. But I was just, that's how I first came into like thinking about this movie. I was like, how would Twitter respond to this? There'd be a lot of, I think, ironic jokes about like, you know, lots of snares, like eat the rich, like, but I honestly think it would just be some dumb TikTok challenge, but. Well, so no, given, given that, how do you actually think these, uh, characters come off in the movie and how the performers actually do with them? I mean, I think the characters come off exactly as they were intended to, Mm -hmm. um, which is entitled, spoiled, not very deep and way in over their heads at the same time. Cause it's very clear. They're just very young and very stupid. Uh, yeah, um, well, I, to be fair, I was also very young and very stupid in like 2009. Yeah. I had a, uh, I had a list of bullet points here on my notes. It's funny that you said young and stupid. When, <laughs> my, my bullet point said really, all it said was it struck me how easy it would have been to get away with it. If the, you actually had smart people doing this, uh, because, yeah. because like, so fair. First of all, like all you have to do, I, I had six bullet points under that. One, no social media. Two, keep the group small and not, and don't tell people. Three, uh, only take what you need. You know, I mean, like you. But could, what's interesting in those precise points you listed, yeah, it's the exact inverse of the purpose, right? Sure. What was your first point? Like no social media. The point of this was social media cloud. Mm-hmm. You know, it was to tell everyone because it was about the hot gossip or the hot goss, you know. Um, I guess it is more that. It's, you're right. It probably is more that than actually just being able to walk down the hallway with the Mark Jacobs feeling, You know, if you wanted to actually just pull off a heist and get some really cool designer expensive stuff, you wouldn't be taking pictures of your new Chanel bag that you robbed from like a Victoria's Secret model. 
you know? Well, uh, well, the other thing is, though, is that in that part of L.A., at what is kind of implied to be, like, kind of a, a high school for cast-offs, rich kids, uh, it probably wouldn't be as unusual as it would be in other parts of the country for someone to be walking around with that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, as somebody who's lived in L.A. for a handful of months, I love L.A., <laughs> but there is definitely <laughs> that culture there. I mean, there's a reason why everybody moves there from everywhere else to go pursue that super shiny kind of fake plasticky Beverly Hills lifestyle. It's very much still there. You see a, a lot of vanity license plates on a lot of really mm-hmm. fancy electric colored cars. And a lot of times they're driven by people who cannot be much older than like 18, right. you know? So there is that like child star thing, the hype houses with all these like really wealthy TikTok internet famous people. There's so much of that there. And it really wouldn't be surprising just to see a whole bunch of like, gaggle of teens head to toe and designer, you know, trading out different luxury handbags. That wouldn't be too shocking. The only other thing I was going to say was they could have worn masks. That, that might have saved them. It seemed like because they were able to identify Mark because he showed up yeah, on the video. Yeah. But like yeah. they, they, they want. But the thing is, like you said, they wanted to feel like they were living that life. And you can't just like kind of casually hang out in Paris Hilton's uh, 17th living room if like you're just wearing masks you're not going to hang out with well with masks on so it kind of goes no. along with what you're saying is that like yeah they could have done everything smart but then they wouldn't have been going out to set out what they really felt like doing you know yeah precisely but yeah i mean i i agree like i think the all the performances like i think they kind of captured these kids and in, in, in probably the way that sophia really wanted to which is funny because uh most of these actors a, a lot of these or a handful of these actors haven't really exactly blown up in the way you would think i mean uh katie chang who kind of plays the the lead rebecca i mean i thought she kind of accomplished being that exact kind of vapid girl you're talking about but she's mm-hmm. probably gone on to do less than any of the other actors it's funny israel broussard he plays mark who is a very unique kind of character and that in the, in the way he kind of fits in with just this whole entire group of girls and he is totally there just to you know just make genuine i mean it seems like he really just wants to be friends with these people because he's interested in all the same stuff they're talking about and he's obviously the one guy in the equation he's very into fashion and all that but it's just funny because he i don't know how familiar you are if you saw the happy death day movies at all i did not okay they're actually really good i think you would dig them and yeah. uh he and he was into all the boys i loved before and he played one of the quote-unquote heartthrobs in that and it's just okay. like a very different kind of guy where he's like uh, just looking like a much more you know traditional leading man style in those movies and here he's kind of like a little he's a little bit pudgy and just a little bit more i don't know soft-spoken and but also interested in like a lot of these different things that you don't really see lead guy characters necessarily having those kind of interests so i thought i thought he was just a very interesting presence in the movie with how he ingratiated himself into that group of girls uh i I don't know if you had any of the thoughts on those performances but i I feel like emma watson deserves her own little corner of the podcast so i didn't want to i didn't want to move it over there yet if you you had any other thoughts says this everybody says this i apologize for speaking over you um about emma watson in general it's been brought up many times and this is the film that i first noticed it in but the poor thing her american accent I am not a fan. No, but this is this this is the solution to her American accent. It is so bad in in other movies. But if you just like go for like this crazy LA whatever girl that she's going for, you don't notice how bad it is because she's going for something specific. But like, it's still there's something a little bit uncanny valley about it where I just 
I can tell she's acting when I see it happen. Um, it just doesn't quite roll off the tongue in the casual way that it's required, you know. But I, I do have a huge soft spot for her as an actress. I just think in the vocals. The thing is, I don't have that much of a soft spot. Like, I mean, yeah, the Harry Potter movies are good because she's not having to do the American accent. <laughs> I did. She's not great in Beauty and the Beast. She's really not good in The Circle, which is just a bad movie. But she's like especially yeah. bad in it. But like, I mean, I, I enjoyed her just going for it here. I, I think I, I just because she's such a amazing human rights activist as a as a person not mm-hmm. an actor and she's such a like intellectual force you know i think which is rare in hollywood i want her to have such a successful career i mean it already is hugely successful but i want her to like grow beyond the franchise you know so that's the soft like spot in my heart for her has it been filled with any noticeable roles no but the poor thing also with little women I mean, the cast was stacked with the most heavy hitters possible. And also, she everyone she, every, everyone knew that she came in for Emma yeah. Stone. And it's like, yeah. I mean, Emma Stone, I think, is a, probably objectively a better actress. And, uh, and then I mean, she's one of them has an Oscar, so I and, think that's and, very telling. And other nominations. And then she's going mm-hmm. up against, you know, Saoirse and Florence Pugh. It's like, all right, well, you're just kind of... Meryl Streep, Laura Dern. Yeah, I mean, so, I, there's yeah. no way. So, yeah. I, and, and I, I, think, I think that... I. I don't know if we talked about that on the Little Woman pod, if like we even really gave her that much airtime because there's so much else to talk about. But I, I feel like I remember thinking like, well, good thing Meg was um, wasn't it was kind of a little bit more marginalized in the story. So we didn't have to hear her talk too much. Um, Ouch, yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, like I had nothing against Meg, but like, I mean, it's a good thing yeah. the other actresses had more to do. But yeah, I don't know. I just particularly enjoy her in this movie. And it's, it's fun because I, I think at this point, I don't think I'd seen her in any movies besides the Harry Potter movie. So I guess it was kind of a it was a cool surprise. And it, it was just very out there. And I, I respected the choice. Um, yeah, I did too. Um, I, just ha- I had to make note of the accent because for me, it's like a very prominent thing in the film that distracted me at both times. So I'd be remiss if I didn't at least. Bring okay, it up. fair enough. I, I and like I said, it, it does bother me in some of her other stuff. It just isn't here because I guess the hardcore Valley Girl thing just kind of masks it. Even though, like you said, it does make it more obvious that she's acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have what do you think about uh, Sophia's filmmaking in this? I think she gets to flex a few times with some of the different ways in which she films the robberies. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was visually stunning. I love the super wide angles. Um, I will say, um, this was the final film. I have to look up his name so I don't butcher the pronunciation. Oh, right. The cinematographer died in production, right? I think the cinematographer died in production, if that's who you're thinking of. Yes. Harris Savides? I I have no idea. I don't know. Savides, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Harris Savides. Upon like researching for this podcast, that was mentioned. This film is dedicated to him. I looked up the rest of his cinematography. I mean, really, really interesting range there. I mean, he's worked with Noah Baumbach on Greenberg, which I loved. Um, Fincher. Ridley Scott, Wong Kar Wai. I mean, I've seen a lot of these films that he's cut. Zodiac, one of my favorite yeah. movies. So I think the coupling of Sophia as a really unique kind of auteur in a way, almost French new wave kind of vibe to her films with, um, Savides, Harris Savides, cinematography, um, fascinating pairing to me. So it was visually very interesting. I think what caused me to kind of fall out of the rhythm of this film when I first, first watched it is because these characters are not at all sympathetic. So it just became, I think that's kind of what threw me for it. Great soundtrack, though. I remember that when it came out. I was really vibing to it at the time. Yeah, I mean, again, I think that's 
and, and some of that kind of stuff is what I like the most in Marie Antoinette, which we'll talk about. But I mean, her, the, the movie, like, and even in the moments where you're not even watching them do all that much, it's a lot of fun because of the music and because of just you're, you're having fun watching, watching them move the camera. But I mean, I, 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 I think it's really cool. They have the one robbery that's like, there's like at least one robbery, maybe two, or the opening one is where they do kind of just a tracking shot within the yeah, house, which, which is cool. But then they, the other one where they just, I think it's Audrina Partridge's house where they, they just, she just like sets, sets it up from the other side of the backyard and you just watch, mm-hmm. watch them walk around the house, which I mean, yeah, I guess you're not moving the camera that much, but it's still, you have to actually, that, that, that involves a lot of choreography in and of itself to get that right. Yeah. And I, I was like, okay, cool. Like I see you, Sophia, you can, you're showing us everything you can do. And you I, do. and I'm digging it. And I thought uh, you, you can still convey everything she wants to say about the world without even putting in the effort to do all of those things. And she still is like, oh no, I'm going to actually like make these robberies really fun for you too. And yeah. I, and I, and I respect that. And I will say, I mean, with the robbery tracking shot robbery, mm-hmm. I think that was the Paris Hilton robbery shot where they're like following her up the stairs. You see the, the photos of Paris Hilton all along the wall. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I like made note of it because it's like when they rob these houses, you're seeing like celebrity worship, narcissism within these celebrities homes. So like you just see like this wall of like Paris Hilton's photos of herself in her own house. You know, a lot of that just like self-referential stuff. And it's just all just beautifully absorbed by the camera and these really coolly composed shots so it's very visually enjoyable, great use of color. But like in those moments, even if there was no dialogue, you'd be able to pick up on the visual cues of like, oh, this is storytelling. Oh, they're revealing so much with how they dress the set, with how they're approaching it with the camera. And even the so, fact that the and even the fact that the kids are just that into it at all, like you're saying, you're seeing all yeah. these things, and it's like, okay, this is just ridiculous. But the fact is that they are genuinely excited about that just says a ton in and of itself. That like these kids that like have these pretty privileged lives that are good. Like they, that's still something that like they feel the need to like do. And that's worth them taking the risk to do Yeah. for whatever reason. But the fact is that they're fulfilled by it and they're really engaged with it. And that's the kind of culture that's left an imprint on them. And their lives are going to be perfectly fine if they just go about it like normal kids, but they got to do that. And the fact that they got to do it is says a lot. Mm-hmm. You kind of mentioned how you wanted to get at it, and I don't think we actually fully got into it, though, with respect to just thinking about this in 2020 terms. And I guess what struck me when you brought that point up to me before the podcast was that, like, I you made the comment that, like, look, I don't know who any of these TikTokers are. But it does seem like there's something to talk about there. And, <laughs> and, 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 it's, and it's kind of the opposite of what we said before where we didn't consume and – and it's actually kind of the same thing because I actually have TikTok. I don't know if you have TikTok, but I, I, I got – I browse. I'm not yeah. like a TikToker. I, you know, I, I never got that bored in quarantine where I was like, I'm going to do it. No, uh, and, I, and I know like I literally could name like one TikToker's name and I probably know it more from following Taylor Renz on Twitter because I mean I mm-hmm. read a lot of her stuff for the New York Times and she was like totally in on the beat. But like yeah. I, I am actually on TikTok like I scroll it like maybe once a day but like that's more than I can say I watch The Simple Life, you know. Way, okay, see very different in that respect because okay. I definitely watch The Simple <laughs> Life. I definitely watched like the OG, the real world. And I do have, a, like, a weird nostalgia for, like, the early 2000s. Right. You know, and, like, I guess pre-2010 that perhaps maybe you don't, which is just kind of funny because I feel like I'm slightly younger than you and somehow, like, I was more yeah, affected I don't know. by I, that. I guess I was just – I don't uh, know what I was watching, but I wasn't watching that stuff. Yeah, I was, I guess, just heavily 
influenced by it at the time. But with regards to the point of like how watching this in the age of 2020, where all these different groups of TikTok teens who are multimillionaires are now buying mansions for themselves in Calabasas, where this took place, probably mansions that these people would have robbed at the time. Mm -hmm. And it's like almost like these big group houses, like a almost like a sorority or fraternity house where just all these different wealthy influencers buying massive mansions. I think one just purchased like uh, Frank Sinatra's old estate. It has like multiple tennis courts. Must be nice. We're talking extravagantly huge mansions. They all live in them together. It's really weird. It's a culture I don't know anything about, but it's like the message of consumerism for the sake of consumerism, you know, celebrity worship to the, to the point where it's just disgusting. I think we're, we're at a peak of that right now in a way that we haven't seen in a long time where like a lot of these TikTok challenges, a lot of the YouTube stuff you see, it's just like really wealthy families buying a whole bunch of toys for themselves, whether it's like a whole bunch of new Teslas, whether it's like, I'm going to go ride my jet ski in my huge pool or fill my pool up with Orbeez, <laughs> you know, um, just weird, crazy pranks. Gotta make like, content. I'm show off my wealth and be dumb and maybe break a whole bunch of stuff that's really expensive because I can. Um, that's what we're existing in. Um, and it would just be interesting to see, like, if these robberies occurred today, how they would react. Oh, right. Or, because... honestly, I think this little bling ring could have circumvented all of it because they definitely would have blown up on TikTok. <laughs> right, if, right. That's a good point. You, know, like, you don't know. it. moved in to, like, one of these mansions themselves. Um that's a really so good point. It's a really weird time, I think, to watch these movies as like all of this stuff is just percolating in the background. Right. And that's a really good point you made there because uh, I made the point earlier how like they only really had Facebook at that point. I guess MySpace, but Facebook is featured in the movie. And mm-hmm. that we played a role in them getting caught, but like Instagram and TikTok are just so huge. And I, I snapped- They would have live streamed it had they robbed. They right. So it's like it, it might not even turn sure. into a ring. They might not have lasted as long as they did. But at the yeah. same time, like I was saying, I wa- I was saying my point in saying I watched TikTok was because like I don't know the TikTokers, but I didn't watch those shows in the in the odds, but I knew who all those people were. Yeah. So it's 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 kind of like a weird. I guess it speaks to the level of fame these people reached, even though they didn't have all these different social media outlets. And I don't really know what that means, but it is kind of funny that like like you're saying these people have just reached these crazy heights and they're doing all these crazy things. And I think they're not the same kind of famous, but it might just be because I'm like an adult that has a job that I have to go to and I don't have as much time to follow them. I might have enough time to watch like their videos, but I don't actually have enough time to learn who they are. But I couldn't help but know who Paris Hilton was. You know, yeah. I could, and I, I, I couldn't help but know who Audrina Partridge was, even though I never watched a second of the Hills. I'm going to say there's probably two reasons for that. Yeah. One is we're both old <laughs> as online as I am. And I'm very online. I'm not, you know, 13 and I don't know how a 13 year old uses the internet. Um, they're like already way past whatever I'm doing. They know so much more about TikTok and like all these different people in the dances. I still don't understand it. I wish I did. Even, I if, I, even if I knew how to dance, I'd be afraid to make a TikTok. The technology oh, I, I just never, scares me. I never will. Yeah. Watch me eat my words. But <laughs> the second reason though, I think it's a little bit more complicated. Like we're so oversaturated with famous people online because it's very easy to have a platform now. And that's great in a lot of ways. So there's way more slices of the famous pie for people to have. Right. Whereas like back in the day, pre like big Internet, 
you couldn't really garner that much social attention on your own. So it was, you know, left to a very small amount of elites, right? It was like, oh, Paris Hilton, heiress, you know, Victoria's Secret models, etc. Lindsay Lohan, child actor turned, you know, it girl turned reckless partier. Um, so I think that's also some of it too, where it's like, there's so many people who are internet famous making tons of money, <laughs> but point. none of us really know who they are just cause there's a, there's so many and B we're kind of out of touch. <laughs> it's me to say, I'm like literally grimacing. I, I know I turned 30 in five months. So don't even, you can stop talking about this getting old okay, stuff. We'll okay. pause it just for our collective peace of mind. <laughs> um, last question. Uh, if, if you, I, and I don't really think you could say that there's, there's a way for this movie to be too meta because, uh, Kirsten Dunst makes a, a, a cameo and she is Sofia Coppola's muse and she's the one that happens to pop yeah. up. So if I don't think it's, it's unreasonable to ask if you could have picked one of the celebrities they robbed to have like actually like been in the movie, if that was a thing that was going to happen mm-hmm. at some other point, because I mean, it seems like they all would have been a good enough sport to show up given that Paris Hilton let them use her house. Is there someone you would have liked to have seen actually like make a real legit cameo? Uh, Paris Hilton. Yeah. Obviously. That's for me, that's extremely obvious. And I'm so surprised she didn't jump on that. Yeah. I have a huge, I don't want to say soft spot. That's giving her way too much credit, but I have a, a very solid appreciation of Paris Hilton. Um, for better or for worse, I think she was like the reason we have the Kardashians. The reason we have a lot of these influencers, she was the original influencer. And I don't know if it's just because I, place too much reverence on the aughts, but none of these little TikTok queens really know who she is. Maybe they do now because I feel like Jenko jeans and like flip phones are like cool again. <laughs> so maybe they'll like retroactively learn about her. Um, but she was like it, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I think it'd be, I think it'd be kind of funny. I do. I, I do. I just, I don't think I knew that. It, it wasn't until after I was watching the movie that I realized that they'd used her house. And like that gave me like a new level of respect for her. And I, I was like, okay, like I feel like that tells me a lot about you. That like this um, – honestly, it wouldn't be unfair if she saw it as a traumatic experience that her privacy was breached like that. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't – if she never wanted to have anything to do with it, then I would completely understand and think that's totally within her right. But the fact that like she – had a good enough reaction to it to like this is a, like a, a Sofia Coppola movie. It's not like a Marvel movie. Like it's a it, she's like a she's kind of an indie director. This movie made less than twenty million dollars. Like that she was yeah. like cool. I will lend my house to this indie movie about something bad that happened. That's largely about something bad that happened to me. It's like oh you're actually kind of like cool enough to like let that happen. That says something about you, you know. And I was like all right, Paris Hilton, like I'm, I really could not, didn't have, I literally had no opinion of you before this, like you do you, whatever, but I guess didn't have a strong opinion of her one way or the other. Cause I consumed so little content involving her. So I was like, okay, I have a favorable opinion of you now. That's cool. You're, you're okay in my book, Paris Hilton. I just thought that was like, cool that she, would, she was down to be involved in that way. So I just, I, I just say I respect her. And even if I can't really speak to like a lot of her influences, like you probably can. Um, <laughs> but yeah. All right, I think that about wraps it up. I think we both highly recommend The Bling Ring. It is on Netflix, so very accessible right now. You should do that if you're lucky enough to be able to have that easy of access to a, a Sofia Coppola movie like this because mm-hmm. I'm trying to revisit some of them before the, uh, on The Rocks later this year, and not all of them are as easily accessible because I had to watch our next movie, Marie Antoinette, on uh, 2B TV, which is actually a 
pretty well functioning platform, but it's very obscure. Uh, Marie Antoinette is the two thousand <laughs> is the two thousand six movie from that was written and directed by uh, Sofia Coppola. It was also adapted on from a book, uh, Marie Antoinette: The Journey by Antonia Fraser, and it tells the story of Marie Antonia, who is uh, the offspring of Austrian royalty, but she marries into or she is arranged to uh, marry the son of King Louis of France, who is played by Jason Schwartzman. I should say the title character is played by Kirsten Dunst, and they're going to kind of form this French-Austrian alliance, and a lot is counting on her uh, to give them an heir to, like, solidify that alliance. And everyone in the movie, for the first half of this movie, it's all about them actually seeing if they can produce an heir. But, you know, the movie is told from the perspective of Marie herself, and you're really just getting taken inside the French court and seeing what it's all like for her and what all these pressures are like for her and uh, just how she kind of adapts to this world around her. And at the same time, it's fairly, I guess, anachronistic is the right word. They're uh, playing a lot of modern music, and they're, they aren't exactly trying to put on airs of talking like people necessarily did in that time. And some people are just talking in their regular voices. And it's uh, just a very different kind of experience for a period piece for at least what you had seen from period pieces of that time. I think this kind of, th- this specific kind of filmmaking has been tried several times in the 14 years since and, and I think to great success in certain ways uh, and but I think this was pretty groundbreaking at the time what did you think revisiting Marie Antoinette Kayla what struck you uh, about it first first off this is one of my favorite movies really um, I love this film I also do love French history and it's such an interesting take on like the downfall of the French monarchy I mean we all know you know the guillotine story, the let them eat cake, you know, King Louis XVI and his hapless, really entitled young wife, Marie Antoinette. But Sophia just does so many interesting things with this film. And apart from it being like just visually delicious because mm-hmm. the colors, the costumes, just insane how beautiful it all is. And I adore the, that this movie serves a different purpose than just being a period piece. It's not about historical accuracy at all. Um, It's not meant to be a timeline, but what it does and what I think it was intended to do and how it affected me is it makes you look at this very young, very naive socialite who was basically bought and sold to the French court uh, to be married and to produce an heir. Mm -hmm. And she's young. She's very like, you know, in over her head. She is very spoiled, right? But, you know, she's very isolated by Versailles, by the whole court. And I think all of those things contextualized, you know, and framed by modern music, by modern language, makes modern audiences so much more perceptive to being empathetic to her story, which is why I love it, because even though this isn't a historical piece, we so often forget that, you know, history is not just a story. It's real people who had like real feelings and a whole life, you know? Um, so for me watching this, it's like a little weird window into someone's head. I mean, obviously we will never know, you know, what the real Marie Antoinette was like, but I mean, she was a very young girl. She was like 14 at the time when she was like, you know, engaged to be wed. 
Yeah, uh, I don't think I knew it was 14 as I was watching the movie. Maybe they make I mean, reference to that. Maybe that's like, really incorrect. But no, 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 no. It's, it's 100% accurate what okay. you said. I just wasn't aware that, young. yeah, I mean, in Kirsten, it doesn't, I mean, Kirsten Dunst is like whatever, you know, 25 or whatever when they are 24 when they filmed this movie. So I, I didn't naturally think she was that young. But learning that after I watched the movie again was like, oh, wow, that even kind of puts it in a, a whole other light, you know, to yeah. realize she was that so, young. From that perspective and the use of the music and how it's modern, you see her in a weird way, like more similar to a Alexis Nairs or to a Paris Hilton type of character. But even I would say even more empathetic because she is so much younger and so much more sheltered, honestly. And so much is expected Uh, of her. Yes. So she's basically thrust into this impossible situation, you know, forced to be married to this kind of hapless king who's also in over his head and, and also then, probably you know, asexual yeah or queer yeah. And there's also like a lot of theory that you know she may have been gay as well we don't really know but the fact that you know i never really think about that history moment of like the french revolution as being the story of two like of, of a young person <laughs> you know um so that just kind of humanized it for me. I'm not being like overly sympathetic to like the French elite and bourgeoisie. I don't mean to do that because I mean, they are very, very complicated. They did a lot of really evil things. You know, there was a lot of other historical stuff happening at the time, but you don't really see the human side of it. And it's done in such a beautiful, fanciful way with a banging soundtrack mm-hmm. uh, that just really makes me appreciate Sofia Coppola's work. Yeah, you know, so the first time I watched this, again, this is similar to Bling Ring, and I think I'm, maybe it was just like I was watching a lot of Sofia Coppola for the first time because I probably watched it around the same time for the first time as I watched Bling Ring maybe like six or seven years ago or something. I remember thinking, yeah, I could tell that technically this movie is pretty brilliant. It, it, we should say it won the Oscar for costume design. As it should have. Yes. And I, I remember thinking last time, like, well, look, I love Kirsten Dunst. I go way back with her and I've watched a ton of her movies and I respect mm-hmm. her a lot. And, uh, I really like a lot of the music in this movie and everything, but like, I was just so turned off by the Jason Schwartzman stuff. And really? I, I, that was that, the first time I watched it. Uh, okay. I was just like, I did, why, why am I listening, watching these people struggle with their sex life? Like, I just didn't get it. I mean, th- th- yeah. th- maybe that's the difference watching it at 21 versus 29 or whatever. Uh, but like, I, I just didn't understand why we were spending all this time with it. Uh, let me ask you, did you get a chance yet to watch The Great on Hulu? I haven't. Um, I'm one of those people that forms really strong opinions on things based off of trailers. And for me... This is just like an unsolicited opinion, but it's a podcast, whatever. Go for it. Um, I feel like it's kind of a rip off of the favorite. Well, it's 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 well, it's created it's created by the guy who wrote the favorite, and the guy that wrote the favorite got the job of rewriting the favorite because of the script for the great. So okay, yeah. So with that context, I can give it some more credence because I'm. They seemed so similar in their styling that I was like, this is just a, a, fa- a favorite ripoff because that did so well. Yeah. And but now that I know there's some history, you know, you might have just tipped it for me. Yeah. And I, and who knows, maybe, I don't know if he was inspired to write the pilot for the great after watching Marie Antoinette, uh, that it, yeah. it, it might, it might be the case. Cause you know, and the, I'm sure you at least know the conceit of the great where, you mm-hmm. know, uh, 
Catherine is just marrying into the Russian oligarchy, and she and, and spending all the time in court there, much the same way Marie is here. And I so I watched The Great just in the last couple of months before I rewatched Marie Antoinette, and mm. I and, and this it, it's a lot of the same stuff. But I mean, uh, there there are differences in how it's done, but I mean, a lot of it centers on them pr- pressuring Catherine to like produce an heir, and. Yeah. I, but Catherine in the Great is uh, actually very, very motivated to make Russia a better place and achieve good because because uh, her husband's such a terrible person, and that's kind of the conceit of the show is she's trying to plot against him, and you're sympathetic to her because her husband is terrible, and you want to see her achieve good. Here, that's not necessarily Marie's. Uh, that's not Marie's goal. Uh, she's kind of living her life and just wanting to have fun. But I still, and so I was sympathetic. In the great, I was like, oh, well, that's terrible that they're just pressuring her to make a baby and they're going to great lengths to do so. But I thought maybe I was just sympathetic to her because she was doing all this other really good stuff that Marie doesn't really have an interest in doing. But on my rewatch of Marie Antoinette, I was actually much more sympathetic to her. And I, I, I totally got those scenes with Jason Schwartzman. I was like, OK, this is actually like super fucked up. And it's really important that yeah. it's super fucked up that they are throwing what I didn't even realize then. But now I know as a 14 year old into this situation. And that really just kind of speaks to really what what is being done to her in this world in a way that I didn't grasp the first time I watched it. So I will say on this watch, I was like really, really, I mean, more engaged in that part of the movie because I understood what her plight was way better and empathized with her a great deal. And that was probably my biggest difference from watching it the first time versus watching it this time and why it worked for me better. Though I might say my kind of preference for a movie might be more something that is more might be something that was more bitingly funny like The Favorite is, though yeah. Mar- Marie Antoinette still worked for me a lot more on this viewing because I'll just say I, I, I got it. I got her story more. Yeah, and I think I think just by virtue, virtue of being a woman, mm-hmm. I, I just really connected, um, not with her plight, but, you know, I always think about, like, what would I have done if I was alive in this time period, you know? Because historically, like, whenever I read anything about history, it's like, Women get married when they're, like, 13, 14, yeah, give yeah. birth to, like, a, a crazy amount of children. Half of them die, you know? So, like, I mean, that's just, like, apart from this film, that was kind of just the reality of, of women for a long time. So, like, especially in, like, royal society when, like, there's, like, all this weird pressure um, to, like, produce an heir, I'm always just like, man, like, that would be the worst. So, like, I always kind of related to that and – um just, I think, from, like, a womanly perspective, where I was mm-hmm. like, this is disgusting. Um, but I think on second viewing, I definitely had way more empathy for King Louis Sixteenth, so Jason Swartman's character. Really? I, yeah, I think, I don't know if I just missed, I got, like, some queer references, but for me, maybe I was just reading in a lot of queerness, but I was like, this, this guy might not be straight. <laughs> um, so then that just made him, I think, more sympathetic for me, but you know, I might be bringing in my own like personal <laughs> bias to, to that viewing. Um, but yeah, just a really interesting film. And I will say switching gears. Um, well, can I, before you do that, can I, yeah, can I make a point it. on Louie? Because I, I agree. Like I, like I said, I was just really annoyed with him on the first viewing. And for some reason, my memory me of it, my memory of it was him just being really whiny. 
I don't know why I, I don't know why I remembered it that way. I, yeah. in my head, it was a lot of him complaining to Marie about stuff. And that really isn't actually the case. It's more just him being thrust into a life that he doesn't really want all that much, but probably isn't quite smart enough to understand he doesn't want it. He's just kind of going through the motions. And so I kind of, I kind of got him more too. Whereas for some reason, I just remembered him as just being this like this little whiny kid. And it's not really what the character is. Yeah, I, I agree. That was my takeaway as well. Um, but for me, I know you mentioned a couple other films that kind of draw inspiration from this. Um, and I, this, I, I believe this movie came out before Marie Antoinette, but it was like my best example at the time when I saw this. A Knight's Tale I've classic never, movie. I've actually Kentucky. never seen it. <gasps> yeah. Okay, go watch it after this podcast recording okay. concludes because it's a great <laughs> movie. Love that movie. Um but they do the same thing with a crazy soundtrack. There's an awesome, like, waltz scene set to David Bowie. I feel like that movie came out in 2003. Hmm. Might be way off in that. Um, but I was like, okay, they're doing a Night's Tale thing where they're doing, uh, like, anachronistic music, which I just enjoy, you know? Yeah, it gets, me. It, it, get, it gets me every time. Give me some modern flair, you know? I, I want to really connect, and I like a good soundtrack. Yeah, uh, Night's Tale came out in 2001. You were close. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. That, that, that was my thing is that like, I was watching it. And I was like, look, yeah, maybe I would personally have a little more fun at something that's like going more, going more for broke for laughs with something like the great or the favorite. But those, one thing that just Sophia Coppola in general in her movies has going forward, but maybe even more specifically Marie Antoinette is that I would say this movie is a mood in ways that those ones are not. And I, so it's like, even in moments, like I I found myself just really happy and enjoying myself at just like, whether it be the, oh, it's like, go, go experience all these individual little fancy things in the, uh, in the, I want candy sequence, or Mm -hmm. I'm forgetting what song is playing, but like just one of the ones that when there's the sequence of going to like balls and stuff and just like stuff like that, I, I, I'm just drawing a blank on what song specifically was playing at that moment. But I'm like, wow, I'm just, I I could just live in this moment in this film for like 20 minutes and I wouldn't complain. And And the movie's already like uh, two hours long, but like I don't, I could be two hours and twenty minutes, and you could have like four more of these montages, and I would be totally here for it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, what what, what else about this? Uh, do you have do you have uh, strong feelings about any of the any of the performances? I uh, yes. as someone that loves this movie, uh, you got you got to feel like a little weird about the fact that, like, especially given the work that she's done in other places too. Kirsten Dunst doesn't have an Oscar nomination to her name. Yes. I could wax poetic for days about Kirsten Dunst's career and underratedness in yes. general. Yeah. Um, you, you, you seen Fargo season two? I haven't. You got to watch Fargo season Should two. I? Okay. I don't know if you watch Fargo season one, but Fargo season That's two is like list. the best. You, you, don't, you don't need to watch Fargo season three. I mean, you can, but like season two is like incredible. It's where she also met her now husband, Jesse Plemons. They play America. Okay. They play. I will watch it. I'm a huge Kirsten Dunst stan. She she um, she gets to go crazy in a much different way in oh, Fargo season two. Like she's like a deranged Midwestern housewife. I uh, will also watch anything featuring a deranged Midwestern housewife. That's my bread and <laughs> so so uh, I highly recommend it. But like I mean, she is like I I, I don't know like uh, that gave me like a whole new appreciation for me watching that season of Fargo. And it's just like she she deserves better than what awards bodies have given her. Is what I'll say. Yes, I mean this performance moved me so much both times. Um, she just hits the nail on the hammer with this and is able to do so much 
just with her raw emotions mm-hmm. and with dialogue, but just her, just so expressive, so empathetic, just nails this. She just mm-hmm. truly shines. Um, I love her melancholia, um, which like, I'm not a huge fan of Lars von Trier. That's I, the one. I, I actually never, I want to watch it cause I've never seen it. That film. I mean, it's, it's a Lars von Trier movie. I, I think people thought she might get an Oscar nomination for that. It didn't happen. So that's why I've been meaning to watch it. Uh, yeah, I'm due for a rewatch, but that movie, amazing. I feel like she does so many just beautiful, raw, deep performances that just always go. I mean, I feel like critics give her praise, right? But even then, yeah. I feel like it's not enough. You know, I want her to have proper buzz. <laughs> I want her to be more than a dark, dark horse, you know? Because um, I, I feel the same way about Amy Adams, but at least Amy Adams... She gets all of the praise. She gets the Twitter stands. She, she, like she gets she gets all of the Oscar nominations. Just hasn't gotten a win. We don't even have yes, one nomination where, for Kiki. Where's the the army for Kristen Dunst? Like, is she just not? Does it not exist? Um, you know, if anyone's interested in starting one, um, yeah. I will insert my Twitter handle at the end of this podcast, as I usually do. But yeah, I'm on that team. And she's amazing. I, and I, I think there's just something impressive in even making a, the character, because based on just what people know uh, anecdotally, even if they're not big French history people about Marie Antoinette, I think it's a tall mm-hmm. order to make a character like that, you know, as likable and sympathetic as she does. And a lot of that's obviously, a lot of that's in the writing. Um, but I, I just think it's a, it's pretty cool that like, even if you don't know history that well, you still just inevitably come into a story about Marie Antoinette with some baggage. Just what? Because what does everyone know about Marie Antoinette? First and foremost, yes. let them eat cake. So, like, you're already going to have some kind of preconceived notion, even if you don't know a ton about her. And she just makes her such a fun presence, and I think that's yeah. uh, very impressive. I uh, I had forgotten that Rose Byrne was in this movie, and it was fun watching her just like kind of like be you know funny and bubbly because i didn't really know her as a comedic actress until bridesmaids and then it was like oh wait you can be funny you, you could have been fun- you were funny before this and i just totally yeah. forgot you're in it uh it's it's it's, a, it's like a very deep cast i don't know i i have a, I have a lot of fun watching it i don't know I, th- I think that's like the that was my thing was that like I, I still found it fun and i still found it uh pretty moving at times just kind of knowing what you know and knowing what you know about her situation even if i didn't necessarily find it like funny i still found it like such a fun hang i I know it sounds like kind of simplistic for a movie like this but it's just it's it's one you don't mind being in you know yeah it's extremely atmospheric which i feel is true of all of sophia's films um well knowing that actually what i just said how do you feel about just like the final act i guess and just like it has a lot of ground to cover into like how it gets because you know the movie the the story has to take a dark turn how do you feel it handles that material i thought it was ingenious Mm -hmm. um because you're you're kind of watching the whole movie knowing the fates of our two leads, mm-hmm. you know, we know they're, they're going to get beheaded. You know, the guillotine is going to be coming up around the corner. Um, so the fact that this was not like some sort of like grotesque turn, you know, it wasn't like a weird showboated moment, you know, it was kind of a, the curtain call final scene, you know, um, and not some sort of weird, you know, cause it could have been like a touch of shock value, which I know Sophia can kind of like sometimes. Um, but I thought it was handled with a lot of grace that didn't pull away from kind of the atmospheric tone. And like, I did enjoy how, like, I thought about this a lot, um, how she was like, I would never say that to the let them keep, eat cake line 
Um, and then she says, let them eat custard, <laughs> which I was like, what does that even like a reference to? I don't know. But I, I think it is kind of like a play on like, she kind of gets that she's extremely privileged, but then still kind of completely misses the point. Right. You know, I might be reading in too much to that. Well, the thing is, custard is better than cake. I agree. So uh, I'm a firm believer. Give me some vanilla custard with some Reese's in it, and I will take that over any kind of cake any day of the week. But uh, no, I, I, I totally get it. It's like she gets that that would be a bad thing to say, but she doesn't understand why it's a bad thing to say, if that makes yeah. sense. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what I took from that. But I thought it was uh, well done. How about you? Yeah, What's no, no, I, I totally do. And I, I, I just... I think the biggest thing that I didn't say yet is that I just like how it how I kind of mentioned at the beginning how it's from her perspective but one thing I think I've forgotten was just how much it's from her perspective. I think she's in mm-hmm. almost every frame of the movie basically or definitely every scene and and because of that you're only getting like stuff on the periphery about like you hear thing here or there like oh like you're spending all this money people are kind of upset yada yada but like it's never like it's never actually the real the, the meat of a conversation is never really how bad things are until it's yeah. too, until it's too late. And I kind of like the story being told that way where it's just, yeah, you know, like we said that like, it's going to have a bad ending for these people. But the fact is she was living her life in this bubble where like, she really wouldn't know that. And so you're so enraptured by this movie that is really truly sensory overload that you almost yeah. forget about it too, even though they've been dropping hints to you along the way. And I think yeah. that's just a really impressive way that, uh, Sophia chose to tell the story. Yeah, and I feel like it was it was likely probably true, mm-hmm. um, you know, because the the noble life in Versailles was very isolated, and they were very just in their own little silo up on Versailles. And I don't know how much involvement a woman would have in any sort of like economic policy discussions. Yeah, you know, you know? it's funny so, that was, it, you mentioned Versailles. It's funny that we just talked about this movie that was all about breaking into fancy houses and how they got to film at Paris Hilton's house. And it's kind of a big... I, I'm talking about all these flexes that Sophia does. I mean, I guess it's pretty easy when you're like Hollywood royalty like she does to get mm-hmm. certain doors to open for you. But she was given unprecedented access to the Palace of Versailles for the making of this movie, which is, yeah. which is, kind, of, which is kind of bonkers and like... Yeah, the cinematography is great, but like that kind of like just uh, it's it's easy to make it look great when you get access to great places. Yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely stunning. I mean, it's Versailles, but I like the way Sophia handles it. So definitely. Do you have any other final thoughts on this before on on Marie Antoinette before we sign off? Anything we didn't touch on? Just any other points you want to get off your chest or any other takes? I think it was all covered. I think it's also an underrated movie. So if you're if you like fashion, if you're into colorful, you know offbeat movies i don't know if offbeat's the correct term but uh give it a watch yeah uh i agreed the it's it's just i don't think she i don't think sophia has talked about enough there's always discussion about how we need to like you know very important discussions that need to be had about how we uh you want to see more movies from female filmmakers in hollywood and how you want to see them get bigger stages but one way you can do that is also just talk up the ones we have and she's one she's one of the most important american filmmakers that we do have and people should watch her stuff because uh i i I mean the beguiled was one of my five favorite movies of uh of 2017 i haven't seen it you haven't seen the beguiled? Oh my god! You got to watch it and talk, and then and then okay. and then you're gonna well you're you're gonna come back for on the rocks, and you're gonna have watched the beguiled by then. I think is how it's yeah. and then and then not that not that we need to do a whole episode on it, but I want to get your thoughts on it. So uh, okay. 
fun. It, it, it is so fun. Uh, and it's funny, I mentioned The Great, because The Beguiled has Elle Fanning in it, too, who is the star of The Great. But, I mean, both she and Kirsten Dunst are incredible in The Beguiled, as are uh, just everyone in it. it. It is a delight, but it's a very different kind of movie. It's it, it's a different kind yeah. of story for Sophia, but it, in, in certain ways. But uh, just everyone should support her. That movie deserved better. Uh, but, yeah, uh, last thing before we get out of here, Kayla, since the last time you were here, the world changed. People went into quarantine. They couldn't, yeah. they, they couldn't do anything. Uh, so people sat at home a lot and just watched so we've been ending episodes by asking people if they have any recent recommendations for things they've been watching it can be old it can be new it can be tv it can be movies but have you watched anything in quarantine lately that you have particularly enjoyed that you want to shout out and tell people to watch i've discussed this at length on twitter and i was featured in a news article saying stuff about this tv series Hmm. tying it back into the early aughts rewatch the oc in man oh man it holds up for me very much enjoyed it any of you youngins out there who are, or maybe, you know, people my age who've never seen it, give it a, give it a try. I believe it's on HBO Max. Yes. Uh, non-spawn, obviously. Um, and it used to be on, was it Netflix? It, it was, was on, it was, it was on Hulu. Cause I, when I watched it for Hulu. the first time and yeah. while, while I was studying for the bar exam, I watched it actually in 2016 and it was on Hulu then. I've got uh, the, the old box set, uh, <laughs> DVD box set, but yeah, it's a good show. Yeah, I, I, I remember you have you had the wrong rankings for the season. I already asked you about that. Oh, that's uh, cool. the, the, the correct rankings for seasons are one, four, two, three. And Absolutely not. Because <laughs> inexplicably, yeah. Kayla has some weird grudge against Taylor Townsend, who's like the second best character on the show. Wow. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> um, no, but season one of the OC is incredible. I think we can both agree yeah. on that at least. And yeah. it, you, you should do that. It's like one of the most incredible first seasons of a television show. And honestly, especially the first like 10 episodes. I mean, it's just, it, also, it's iconic. Youngest show showrunner at the time. Uh, I think Josh 25, Schwartz. 25 year, 25 year old. Yeah. Josh Schwartz oh. is like an insane, um, just that he was able oh, wow. to accomplish that at that yeah. age. He dropped out of college, I think too. Uh, mm-hmm. just, uh, yeah. So OC great recommendation. I, uh, I'm running low on recommendations because I just did the podcast two nights ago and made recommendations. Then I'll mm-hmm. say, uh, people should take advantage of Peacock because I'm not even paying for it, but they have a lot of stuff on there for free actually. Um, and they got a lot of old, they got some, a decent Alfred Hitchcock selection. So I watched the birds for the first time. I really, oh. I, I really enjoyed it. And, a lot of the other more famous, like, well, I mean, Birds is pretty well-known Hitchcock movie I just hadn't seen, but like a lot of the even more well-known ones, you know, like Psycho and I think Rope and stuff like that, they have that for free. And then if you can get like a Peacock Premium, you can get access to a couple other Hitchcock movies, but like more stuff. But like there's actually a pretty good free selection on Peacock. So I recommend that that The Birds is fun because it's just like uh, – it's a really good example of how patient Alfred Hitchcock was as a filmmaker and how he like really like kind of let you settle into like some other kind of rhythm of just like these people doing things before it actually got to like the really messed up stuff. And I thought that was a pretty great example of that and pretty impressive technically that like in 1963, you were able to make a movie about birds attacking people and it, it didn't feel hacky or amateurish, like with what could have easily felt like really terrible props or something, I'm sure, but they found a way to do it. So I highly recommend that. Kayla, before we sign off, where can people follow you on whether it be Twitter or read anything you're doing or anything like that if they want to yeah, find anything? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Kayla Stetzel, that is K-A-Y-L-A-S-T-E-T-Z-E-L. Um, I spend way too much time on the internet, so you'll find me there. 
Yep. As usual, I'm Josh Ernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on both Twitter and Letterboxd. And the podcast is Rewind Movie Pod on Twitter and uh, rewindmoviepod at gmail.com is the podcast email. And uh, I think there's going to be some – there's obviously going to start being some uh, – I mean, Netflix will get like a lot of the Oscar-y stuff that it has on its slate, probably put that out at the end of the year and stuff like that. But it's, And I know a few theaters are going to open, but there's still really not going to be a lot of new stuff out there. So we're still going to be uh, revisiting old stuff over the next few weeks. And if you have recommendations, feel free to send them our way. Uh, Kayla, thanks again so much for joining. We'll hopefully uh, see you sooner rather than later and not wait another seven months before we see you again. <laughs> Maybe to talk more Sofia Coppola when On the Rocks drops. Uh, that'd be fun. And thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time.